bad about my boss Take a break from work today's no total loss Welcome, welcome, welcome to this November 18th, I believe, edition of the GFP Podcast and Blast. Yeah, I know, it's two weeks in a row, and that's uh, it's pretty ambitious for yours truly. Um, but good episode today. Uh, sit down and talk with Conservation Officer Supervisor Jeremy Rowe from the Sioux Falls area, and Wildlife Manager... Uh, Nick Rossman from up in the Watertown area. We're talking primarily East River deer season, what we're looking at, what the season's looking like, what the deer herds are, you know, what shape the deer herds are in, uh, are they rutting, what kind of activity are we seeing. Then we're talking a little bit of EHD and kind of some surprising news um, from them. And then we're talking a little transportation to deer. So once you get a deer, uh, what do you got to do to stay legal to get it home? And we're just talking baiting and some other stuff. A couple of really good dudes, uh, super smart, been around for a while, uh, grizzled veterans, if you will. So I hope everybody's having a great November. Man, the weather's been great. And uh, it's an awesome time of the year. Um, you can hunt just about anything uh, in, the, in the state. You can uh, go out and hunt ducks and geese and pheasants and anything that flies and all kinds of four-legged critters. So hope everybody's having a great November. And uh, buckle up, and I uh, hope you enjoy. Welcome to another spectacular episode of the Game Fishing Parks Podcast and Blast. Uh, it is a miracle that I could get these two guys on the uh, on the program on a day like today, uh, week before the rifle season, uh, East River Deer. Uh, but it's mostly because I think they're big bow, bow hunters, but I think uh, Jeremy Rowe has already tagged out and uh, Nick Rossman has said he's only shooting mature deer, so... Boys, thanks for taking the time out and and uh, being with us today. Thanks for having us. Um, East River deer, you know, I, I think, you know, we we always get the pub for for pheasant season and the pheasant opener, but for the people that I know, even if they're diehard pheasant hunters, man, like the opening of rifle seasons is probably even bigger to South Dakota residents than than the uh, pheasant season. Um, I know you guys are busy um, doing a lot of prep work beforehand, and then uh, Roe, I'm sure you'll be busy out in the field uh, checking hunters and stuff this weekend. But let's just talk about the outlook for the East River deer season. Uh, Nick, if you want to start up in your neck of the woods, um, first of all, I suppose you could give uh, introduce yourself and give us your title, but then, uh, but then uh, give us the outlook on what you're seeing up in that northeast quarter. Yeah, sure. Like you said, my name is Nick Rossman, Regional Wildlife Program Manager here out of the Northeast, uh, stationed out of the regional office in Watertown. We This region kind of covers 13 counties in the far north and east extreme corner of the state. Um, as far as 
East River deer forecast, I mean, it's it's looking really good um, for both the hunters and the deer. Honestly, our deer numbers are pretty solid. Um, we haven't really gotten hit too bad in our corner of the state from any EHD events. You know, we had a lot of, despite being in a drought, we got probably the most amount of precipitation across the state. So um, we're de definitely not as, as bad off as other corners of the state, but, um, you know, with that, there's still quite a few crops standing. And, and in general, I'd probably say um, it's definitely localized, but anywhere between 50 and 75% of the crops um, are still standing. Um, that can be good and bad. As a hunter, it, uh, it keeps deer in your area. You know, they got a lot of local, local fields that they can take um, and take refuge in and kind of keep them there. But but also it can be difficult too if you've got the one you're after or uh, sometimes they just don't they don't come out till dark so um but as far as deer numbers and deer activity man anybody out driving driving the countryside mornings and and uh even daylight hours i mean those deer are rutting like crazy right now um lots of vehicle collisions a lot of road <laughs> kills so so our deer numbers are pretty solid and uh it's looking to be a really good really good weekend i think archery hunters are kind of if you haven't filled you're probably you've probably had opportunities um but um everybody's kind of waiting waiting patiently in anticipation for a good weekend so getting excited for it awesome jeremy uh introduce yourself and then uh give us the rundown down in your neck of the woods sure so i'm jeremy Rill. i'm the regional conservation officer supervisor based out of sioux falls here so I supervise all the law enforcement officers in our base, our southeast 27 counties. Um, and we're we're looking really good as well, kind of like Nick said. Um, I definitely would say our crops are further along. We we do not have 50% of our corn left. Most of our corn is gone. And then whatever, what is left, um, guys are pretty much finishing that up right now. So that looks really good. You know, just visiting, doing some taxidermy inspections here the last couple of weeks and visiting with some of them guys. I mean, they're they're already booked they're getting deer in left and right and some really, really nice deer from up in Nick's area um, from out west and then also down in our area as well. So I think our deer herd is looking really good. Uh, we bounced back from our EHD pretty solid, pretty quick. So that's been really good. A lot of success out there with archery hunters um, this year. I mean, probably some of the highest success that our tax numbers have seen on mature deer. So it's been really good to see. Um, you know, like I say, most of our crops are out, so I think that obviously helped our archery hunters a lot on uh, getting some success out there. Our rut is still pretty much in full swing. A lot of those early does are bred, so now them bucks are out starting to search a little bit more. So they might have a little bit easier success here this week than you even did last week. So, yeah, overall, I think it looks really good. Yeah, gearing up for this weekend. Obviously, it's going to be crazy busy. It's already started here at the office with tags and everything going i mean it's it's full-fledged so next three weeks are uh are uh pedal to the metal till we get through it so but it's going to be a great year it really is right i i'd say out here you know our crops are we're out and and you know heck even most of the flowers are out but nick is it is it because you guys got some of those heavy rains in the last couple of weeks and guys can't get get in the field to get that corn out yeah it is we we got i, I don't know i don't have any specific numbers but i bet in the month of September and early October, I know for sure some areas were probably approaching 10 inches of rain, um, yeah. and, that, and it just soaked right up. And but then we got so much so fast that 
there's a lot of corn still underwater. Um, so th- as a waterfowl hunter, great opportunity to hunt right. corn. Um, but, but yeah, so it kind of delayed some things and then, um, you know, the roads were kind of messy there for a while and then getting it out of the field was just kind of a trucking nightmare. So, um, again, it's spotty though, you know, one corner of the County might be completely different than the opposite corner. I mean, um, so, yep. but in, in general, probably close to 50% of the crops are still standing, but there we've had a good week of, of dry and wind. And so this week I would expect that another good, good portion is going to get removed and harvested. So, you know, it might be, you know, just 25% by the end of the week, cause they're going to go hard. They want to get that yeah. stuff out quick and be done, put the equipment away before uh, the Northeast winters settle in. So, um, yeah, but, uh, they're working on it, but look, it's, it's looking to get only better as the week progresses. Good. Yeah, I know. I was talking to one of my really good friends up by Claire city and he was in the field combine and I literally heard his combine sink because he was driving and he goes, Oh, this is a low spot. It might get hairy. And it just went, <laughs> he just every dirty word in the book. And I got to call you back. And three days later he called me back. And so, yeah, I know yes. they, I, I think he said they got like nine and a half inches and in, you know, that period that you were talking about. And of course I was asking about flooded corn and, and he's like, no, it kind of all ran and it's mud. And he goes, if you can get some ducks to land in mud, but there's no flooding. So. And that's some flat country up in that area. So yep. it doesn't, if there's any slope to it, it's pretty slow. Yeah. Unless it's yep. ditched, but yeah. Right. But uh, we both of you guys kind of hit on EHD a little bit. And I, I had a conversation with uh, Steve Griffith last week about EHD. You know, I think, I think what we saw and I, I know, you know, you're, it was in your brains. I was thinking about it in June this year going, my God, you know, you're watching all these stock dams around pier just go down. And I'm thinking, you know, you could almost see the deer dying, you know, in my brain. And I think that it seems like that EHD, you know, up and down the river was a little bit worse. And then up in that Northwest corner, you know, up in Harding and, and Perkins and stuff, but, and Griff had some pretty good insights and, and it was interesting to talk to him about it, but you guys aren't really seeing a whole lot of it, or at least not as much as what we were thinking. Yeah, in the in the northeast, you know, the only place we really get affected by it is in the extreme western edge. Um, McPherson Edmonds fall kind of up in the south southwest of Aberdeen is generally our hotspot, and then over along the region two and region four border, um, McPherson Edmonds right. uh, counties. But you know, this year, for whatever reason, we haven't had a lot of reports. Uh, we've got just a, a few confirmed cases but like like you said i was kind of expecting it to be uh way worse than it is but um for the most part if people weren't finding them uh some might just not be reporting them but we haven't heard of any major die-offs here lately or people coming across them during during harvest and i feel like we put out the the word to make sure that they allow you know, get, let us know so that we can make some adjustments if needed. But um, I just don't think our region necessarily, um, except for that extreme Western edge really got affected. So, so that's, that's, that's good for us. You know, we're, we're doing some, some things, we're increasing tags, you know, we need some, some additional harvest in some of our counties. And uh, so we've addition, we've added some additional doe harvest um, to get some more hunters in the field. So, well, it's, if uh, we probably would have been taking taking away some of that op- extra opportunity if EHD was really severe like it was in other corners, but 
thankfully we're it looks like we're still going to be able to get those hunters out in the field and and uh hopefully hopefully some youth get to harvest some of those extra deer out there so right on jeremy what about you yeah ours was very spotty <clears throat> kind of like nick was as well i mean but it was kind of spotty throughout the whole region <clears throat> you know along that east fork vermilion that goes down through davis all the way down we did have some ehd there we had quite a few reports that were coming in from hunters and from especially when our pheasant hunters got out there they were starting right. to find them you know and then aurora drawled we had very few um that were reported you know we heard we did hear from a few hunters that saw them late you know, dead deer that were all bones and everything, so it's kind of hard to, kind of hard to decide. CO. Phone's always ringing, right? <laughs> hard to decide if it was EHD or what it was, but I mean, definitely, definitely had some there, and then Clay County actually had quite a few as well, which was something we haven't seen down there very often, so it was very spotty, but I mean, far as though, compared to what we had, whatever, three, four years ago, where, you know, we are taking tags away and everything we just right. never got there this year luckily so but yeah we we thought we were gonna get there and we were getting prepared to to make a plan but fortunately we didn't get there yeah you know griff told me something and and you know i'm not a wildlife biologist like you jokers i don't have that background but he he said that when you see a big big ehd you know die off in a certain area and he used row he used kind of your country as an example that those deer that make it through are then immune to EHD for, you know, their life cycle, but they don't pass it on, you know, they don't pass that immunity on, which, you know, I, I always talk to a lot of hunters down from Georgia and Tennessee and, and that, and, you know, they claim that they have EHD all the time, but their deer, you know, rarely, they rarely see those big die-offs. So I, I guess I thought, kind of thought that was interesting and just, just, just throwing it out there. Nick, have you ever heard any of that or you seen any of the research either of you guys? And you know, there's there's no better expert in our state than Steve. Uh, right. But yeah, you know, to say it's it's new to our state, I I think is a misconception because I think we always right. had it. But you know what? I get asked a lot by people stopping in the office or calling this time of year or late summer asking about, you know, how bad is EHD in my area and is this new and how can we stop it? And, you know, I just feel like. It's always been here at different levels, but as a deer hunter, I think we are all just more in tune with what's going on. You know, everybody's got trail cameras. Everybody's, you know, it's just getting harder and harder to hunt private land um, because of how popular it's becoming in deer management and stuff. So I think we're just way more in tune with, you know, what's going on. We've got all the deer surveys now that our state's conducting, and we're just way more into the data and stuff behind it. Look, I mean, look how we're recording all these um diseases so I, I i think i think it's interesting to see the transition and how we're handling some of this stuff but you know it's, it's a natural process and and i right. think we learn a lot from it but i think it's always been here it's uh it's unfortunate especially if it's in an area that you know your your herd is just recovering from you know the previous one and and we're trying to maximize opportunity out there but um, when something like this happens, we have to manage for it. It, it kind of puts us all in a, in a tough spot where we just have to make decisions and remove some potential opportunity. And, but, uh, yeah, I guess Steve, Steve's, uh, probably the best, best person for the history. And, but I've, I've kind of always been under the impression too, that, you know, when, when a, when a herd is immune, it, eventually it's going to go away, but 
case in point, the Northwest South Dakota, Harding and Perkins County. I mean, that's kind of always been the hotspot. And yep. obviously it's, it's not herd immunity. It doesn't, so it doesn't get passed on, but uh, right. yeah, I mean, interesting reads. There's lots of, lots of studies and stuff out there. You know, the Southeast United States is probably the most prevalent area of the United States for it. And, and they still have deer all over the place, but yeah, uh, definitely some interesting stuff that wildlife disease work. Hey, Ro, do you ever get calls? Because I've, I've been getting a lot of calls this year. Um, do you ever talk to people? Is there anything you could do? Like, do they ask you, well, can you spray for this midge? I mean, I'm sure you get those calls and talk to, have those conversations. Yeah, we get them all the time, <clears throat> especially from landowners that are trying to trying to save the deer herd or manage their own deer herd or anything. You know, how do we how do we get rid of them? You know, that type of stuff. I mean, it's it's nature. It needs to take its course. I mean, it's obviously... When you get low water after high water, I mean, that's when it, it gets pretty prevalent. So, I mean, to manage that is is pretty tough to do. So, yeah, we do. We get a lot of questions on EHD. A lot of guys call it blue tongue and everything else, but, yeah. yeah. And, oh, and by the way, Rose probably the best looking guy I've ever had on this podcast. I mean, Nick would have been, but we got we got Rose deer tag filled. So, <laughs> so he got to be on. And Haas would have had the best head of hair we've ever had, but he's, who knows what he's doing. He's he has got the less least amount of stress in his life that's why (laughs) um let's let's go into it in in both of you because i think you both probably play similar but a little bit different roles you know i always get asked and i'm sure you guys do too on how we set the number of deer tags per county and it's i've gotten into this conversation with with you guys and some other people and it makes my head hurt no matter how many red bulls i have in a day so just just talk about and we don't have to get down to it, but, you know, um, you know, just take Coddington County, for example, and 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 what goes into that in, on your end, Nick, and then Jeremy, you can kind of talk about your role down in the southeast and, and talk to landowners and stuff. Yeah, you know, from from the start, I think, as a department, all staff involved that deal with those units and have knowledge of those units kind of have to come up with. Um, a population objective you know what what uh, what population can that county sustain for the for the amount of hunters and and uh, the tolerance levels um you know if there's good habitat countywide there's there's obviously good opportunity for increased uh herd levels and and when when you get a bunch of staff involved in a discussion that know different landowners and different things about the county um, a lot of good discussions are had, definitely different per- points of view and perspectives, but good, healthy uh, communication. And, you know, because we all, whether you're a CO, wildlife damage specialist, habitat, private lands biologist, um, you're talking to hundreds of landowners over the course of a year. So you get a lot of input from those producers. And, you know, on top of that, as an agency, we do some different deer surveys, Um survival studies with collars. Um, we do aerial deer surveys um, periodically to kind of get a, a better estimate of those counties. And and so we have those discussions and we kind of figure out what that sweet spot is, you know, what the need is for control, uh, controlling the population, how many landowners, you know, are applying for those tags and, and where we can maximize it. And, and so that's kind of, that's kind of the focus of those discussions. We look at some uh, some statistical information that we collect from those surveys, and that's essentially what we do. We we try to model out and predict what those 
pre-hunt and post-hunt um, population number levels are and and really find that try to find that sweet spot you know do we get it right every time maybe not but but we certainly take we gather a lot of input um, from the public from the private landowners from the sportsmen and we we just try to make the best best um, best observation and best uh, management tools to to effectively manage that population so sure Jeremy, what about on your end? I mean, you, you've seen it from being the new CO now to soup and, and talk about how how your input and where you get it and all that. Sure. It's, uh, you know, it's changed a ton over the years. I remember when I first started, it was, we didn't have a lot of, you know, Nick's positions and and we didn't have a lot of the surveys out there. We didn't do aerial. We didn't do the, the collars and all the stuff that we do now. So when I started, we would get in the room with one uh one other supervisor who did the tags or punched him in and you made a educated guess as much uh if you wanted to raise some deer tags or lower some and and that was it so we've come so far in the last 15 years i mean it's it's crazy now that we have all these different biologists that are got different tasks on on different management of different populations so i mean it's it's pretty neat to see so basically as from a law enforcement perspective i mean it, we go kind of on the on the data that we see and that we hear from the landowners. <clears throat> uh, we help with the surveys and stuff as well, and then get those kind of to Nick's shop, and then he analyzes the data and he brings in, you know, the data side of it along with their their contacts from the public as well. But we're talking to landowners, we're looking at the EHD, we're talking to the hunters, looking at hunter success, and then we bring everybody to the table and then we look over the data and discuss it, kind of like Nick said, and, and then uh, make that best best uh, management decision we can. I mean, the biggest thing is, you know, how much uh, landowner tolerance is out there for deer. I mean, that's obviously a big one. If we have, uh, you know, a ton of depredation because we had a bad winter or anything, I mean, that all goes into effect to all of it. But I mean, the biggest thing is we, we do it as a team anymore, you know, with uh, the wildlife management managers and the biologists and the law enforcement and the public for that matter. So it's actually, it's a really good system that we've done here in the last five, Five to ten years that we've made this kind of transition change and it it works really well and i think you this year is kind of a true test of you know what we're seeing for deer right now of i mean i think we have a really really healthy deer population you know especially on this eastern half of the state and i was out west last weekend hunting and i mean the deer population out there is really good as well so so far i mean this year looks really really good and i think it's due to our new management the way we're doing it and with all of our surveys and everything over the last five years have, have you seen a change? Uh, I mean, I know you've been around kind of in that same area road. You, when you're looking for those deer numbers and stuff, do you are you still going knocking door to door? Or are these guys calling you going, hey, I want my input in on this deal? You <laughs> um, still get a few people that call, you know. Uh, sure. Usually it's people that call are the ones that are not seeing any deer um, or, they're, or that they're on the other extreme and they have way too many deer. <clears throat> it seems like we get some of our best data, though, is from basically stopping it at landowners or right. check hunters out in the field. And then you have a little bit better conversation, not uh, not a spur of the moment type one, or you have that spur of the moment type one, not that thought out conversation. And that seems like where you get the best so-called dead uh, data from those type of people, so. Sure, I, I, I think I can boil it down to a nutshell. You and I were standing at the state fair one year and you saw a guy coming and he started laughing and just kind of backed up. And this guy chewed me up and up <laughs> one side and down the other because 
I think there had been an EHD die off. I don't think I don't think it was Hutchinson County, but it was somewhere down in your area. And this guy was like, "You guys pulled all these tags, and there's still no deer around, and we should shut this county down." And blah 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 blah. And you know, 15 minute conversation, and it was good. We're standing there, we're kind of talking. About 20 minutes after that, another guy came walking up, and Roe kind of laughed and put his head down and walked away. And guy that was five miles away from him and he was mad because we cut tags because he had 300 deer in his bale piles and you know they're next door neighbors and they hate each other and they're mad and he was yelling because we cut tags and I got done I turned around and Ro had this big old smile on his face and I went this is your job like every day isn't it and he went yup yup it can be so it's it's making sausage but you know people are people are so dedicated and and care so much about these herds whether it's hunters or whether it's, you know, landowners because there's depredation or landowners because, well, God, we kind of like having a few deer to shoot, you know, for the kids and the family and stuff. It's everybody cares about it. And it's it doesn't go unnoticed when when things are, you know, trending way upward or way downward or even in the middle. There's Everybody's got an opinion on it. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, a big thing with our area, I mean, we just have <clears throat> it's so different, you know, in our region. You get in and around Sioux Falls when we have tremendous amount of deer and really big deer and everything like that but we have i mean just a huge influx of archery hunters you know between lincoln and minnehaha county i mean our success on our on our buck harvest is i want to say it's like 60 65 percent of our total buck harvest is from archery hunters alone so right. to try to manage that i mean that can get really difficult when it's a unregulated user group so i mean those those challenges and those things all come in into play with everything and we're starting to see those archery hunters now start to venture out more and we're seeing them all the way up and throughout our region but i mean that that uh that archer group is getting huge i mean there's a ton of people that are now taking up that sport which is awesome to see i mean it's so much opportunity out there so it's right it's getting uh it's getting fun to to watch that sport grow cool well let's let's go into um into something that it kind of comes up and it, it sneaks up on me every year whether we've made changes or not and that's deer transportation ro can you briefly tell people out there what they need to do after they've harvested a deer and how to get it home sure yeah i mean that's you know when we run our road checks and we run you know all of our different operations or anything that we see i mean this is probably what gets guys kind of into a bind more than anything is deer is big game transportation on what they all need, when they can uh, transport their deer, can I transport someone else's deer? So, I mean, we do have them all in the hunting handbook. It can get kind of long and a little bit windy. So, I mean, we understand that it, it it can be complicated, but ultimately once you shoot your deer in the field and then you get the tag, <clears throat> obviously you need to have the tag on the leg or on the antlers is what we say, or on the hock. Um, and then as long as you keep that tag with you while you're transporting that deer back home or to your taxidermist or to your meat locker, you'll be completely fine. Um, if it is a antlerless deer or an antlerless deer tag, then you have to have proof of sex. So that that can be one um, that a lot of guys don't want. You know, they don't want to bring the head of the doe home that they shoot. Well, it's pretty tough to tell, you know, if it's a doe or if it's a buck if you have an antlerless tag. So you either need to have you need to have proof of sex, so a head or natural sex organs attached to one of your quarters, basically. Um, if you're going to bone out that meat and all that, which we see a lot, you know, especially out west when it gets a little bit warm, um, if you're going to do that, that's fine. You can bone out your meat. You can leave your your carcass and everything in the field where you where you harvested your deer. 
but you just need to have that tag leg with you. So as long as you have that tag leg or um, the tagged antler, then you're good. So I mean, it's pretty it's pretty easy to uh, when you talk about it, but when you read our handbook, sometimes it can get a little bit a little bit much. But we try to you know cover all the avenues in there. But have that proof of sex, and then make sure you have that tag leg with you all the time, and you're going to be good to go. Right, and I, I think that the boning out thing in the field and 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 hunters not bringing the leg back, they're just cutting that tag off and throwing it in their, you know, their processed meat, you know, and, and they think it's okay. And and I think that's where a lot of the guys get hung up that and they, you know, still have to have a doe head with you. Um, I think those are the two biggest things. And, and it's, it just, it's every year. It's like some days I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall and I'm sure you guys do too. So. Yeah. You know, some of the other things that we'll see a lot of times is <clears throat> they'll cut the tag off. So they'll do everything right. right. They'll tag it and they'll bring it to their, you know, their parents' house, you know, out west. And then they they butcher their deer and they're bringing back a whole bunch of boned out meat, but they cut the tag off to bring it back. So they're trying yep. to do the right thing, which we understand, but that tag is not attached to the leg or attached to an antler or anything. So if you have right. to leave that attached to that leg, then you can cut the leg off and just bring the leg, the tag leg with you, and then you'll be good to go. Right. Hey, Nick, can you talk a little bit about uh, deer transportation and CWD that we changed that last year and, and just it's always good for a little bit of a refresher there too. Yeah, so <clears throat> try try to keep it as, as basic as possible. Um, so so basically, if you're bringing an animal back, you know, tag properly, like like Jeremy discussed, um, from let's just say a West River unit. <clears throat> West River is open this last weekend. You're bringing it back east to wherever you live. Um, you can do that as long as there's a certified uh, landfill. Um, but but if you live in a community that does not have a certified landfill to properly dispose of these carcasses, uh, generally what you need to do is you need to debone them, debone the meat out west and leave that out there, not bringing any spinal column, uh, brain matter, all that kind of stuff. You, you need, to, it's best just leave it out there. Um, for example, here in Watertown, we have a certified landfill just south of town. So I could then go out West River, bring the, bring the entire deer back, debone it in my garage, and then dispose of that in a certified landfill. I'm, I'm good to go. But um, so there's, 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 it, it it really does depend on what area you live and what, how you're going to properly dispose of that. What we don't want doing is, you know, if you live on an acreage somewhere or, or on a farm or out in the country, we don't want you coming from a CWD positive unit, bringing that carcass back here and disposing of all that, the, the remnants of that carcass back on a rock pile. Because now, um, based on CWD, uh, and how it's comprised is, you know, that you're now transporting that prion. If it's a CWD positive animal, right. disposing of it in an area where it's not known to be found. So that's what we're trying to do is, is eliminate the spread of that um, and, and trying to make it as easy as possible. And, you know, and simple as possible. It really is handy to not have to deal with the carcass once you get here. Now, right. certainly, you know, if you hunt, deer on let's say some public land which a lot of east river folks do and they they debone a debone a, a deer four or five miles out into a walking area it's best to debone it right there you don't have to 
carry all that extra weight. You don't have to dispose of it once you get home. You, you're leaving that, that carcass of that animal right where you harvested it. No harm, no foul. And that really is the best way to do it. Um, it's the easiest, too. As a sportsman, you know, once, once you get home, you got all your meat uh, properly tagged and in a cooler, deboned. You get home, you can kick your feet up. You don't have to, you know, right. hang it up and then come come back and do it the next day. It's nice when, you know, you're already, you know, kind of just finished up field dressing an animal. And and um, once you get back, that's all. it's just like cleaning fish, right? The best part is catching the fish. The worst part is when you get back, you have to clean them, wash up, package them, all that yep. kind of stuff. So, <clears throat> but yeah, we've that's that's essentially you need to know where that carcass is going. And if you have a certified landfill nearby, you can dispose of it there. Otherwise, it's supposed to stay in the unit that you harvested it. Right. And Ro, how much do you see down in in your neck of the woods? I see it here a bunch because we have some bigger you know public ground areas and stuff, but uh, somebody shoots a deer, they get it all the way to like a walking area parking lot or one of our GPA parking lots, then they debone it and leave the carcass there. Do you see some of that down there? And, and, and what's the, I mean, is that a violation or are we just asking people to not do that or? Sure. <clears throat> you know, we don't see it too much. We'll see it with pheasants and our small game stuff quite a bit where they'll right. clean up right there in the parking lot with deer. Most of them, you know, on most of our stuff down here, it's small enough. They'll gut it. They'll either drag it out or they'll quarter it and then run it out. We don't have those big, huge walking areas like they do out west. Um, it's not illegal to um, basically debone it out or quarter it or anything and leave that carcass on that game production area on that public area. Um, what we do ask guys is to not clean it in the parking lot um, yeah. just because obviously it leaves a mess. And then any non-hunters that come by or anything like that, I mean, obviously that's an eyesore. You got guts or you got hair or you got feathers even that's, you know, blowing across the road or in the ditches or anything. But you can do it on that property. You cannot do it in a ditch. You cannot, uh, you know, within the road right away. You can't throw that stuff in there. That would be littering and that right. is a violation. But anything on that property, if you've harvest, harvested it there, you're good. Now, if I shoot it on private property and bring it to a game production area and clean it there, that is not. That is illegal. It has right. to be harvested on that public area. Yeah, it's just, I see it out west in some of those walking areas and, and, you know, a giant walking area. And then right where the vehicles are parked, there's, you know, 10 antelope carcasses. And I always kind of wince and, and, and go, oh, guys, you know, we, should, yeah. we, need, we need to get rid of those and hide them a little bit better. But And most of that is, you know, the guys that, you know, shoot them and then they bring them there and do it there right. and then dump it on the on the public area. And that, yeah, that's not that's not legal. It right. needs to be harvested on that piece of property in order for it to be legal. But right. yep, we definitely try to encourage people as most we can to leave it away from the parking lot, just so you know all of the people don't need to sit and look at guts and feathers and bones. <laughs> all right, um, kind of one last question for for both of you, and you're going to have kind of approach this at at different angles. And I appreciate you guys taking time out of the tree stand and out of hunting, and especially from work uh, to do this, but the the idea of baiting and the products that get sold, whether it's at Shields or Cabela's or Runnings or Mills Fleet Farm, you know, this rack rock and and some of that kind of stuff, and then just straight old, you know, buckets of corn or whatever. Um, Nick, from your perspective of, of a biologist and a big, you know, fan of shooting mature deer, as you said today, um, you know, that stuff 
you know, like the the especially the supplements and stuff, the rack rock and some of that stuff, does it work? I, you're asking the wrong person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I totally put you on the spot here. I'm sorry. No, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. I you know, it's just not something I personally do. Um, whether I believe in it or not, that I guess that's irrelevant. It's just not something I want to get into. You know, you know, there's a lot of it's a very contentious issue uh, in our in our society with baiting regulations and uh, disease trans transmission. It's just a very sensitive topic. Some states allow it, some don't. Um, it, it gets to be a very emotional topic for a lot of people. You know, the fair the fair chase element, the disease spread, and to me personally, it's just. It's one of those I don't even I don't even touch. Um, but uh, there there's definitely concern. I mean, there are some diseases out there. For example, CWD. It it is spread by contact. You know, saliva, right. um, stuff like that. So in in deer are social animals. Deer, elk are social animals. So they come in contact with one another naturally. And you know, I think if if you add any element to that to kind of more focused that or congregate even more animals it, it you know it just it could potentially start something that i don't know if we want to get into but um right. yeah personal experience i have none thanks chris <laughs> right on. i put you on the spot uh ro yeah i i got into it with a, a guy who obviously knows i work for game fish and parks and he he said well if it's illegal why are we letting them sell it and I just went uh, because I don't know Jim Cabela or whoever owns Cabela's right now. So, but from your your perspective, go ahead and talk on that a little bit. I that get that stuff. question a lot. Like, well, I bought it at Walmart. Why would they sell if it was legal? And I always go back to why do they sell a car that goes over eighty mile an hour if it, the speed limit's at the highest right. is eighty? So, <laughs> I mean, it is what it is, right? But um, yeah, it is illegal to hunt over over bait. Um, and that is salt, mineral blocks, corn, or anything like that. It has to, I mean, you can hunt over food plots and if it's planted, you know, that type of stuff, it's perfectly legal. Um, but if you are buying that stuff from Walmart, Fleet Farm, all that, and you're placing that out and you are maintaining that and you're hunting over it, that it, that, that is illegal. Um, obviously if you go into shields, you go into runnings or anything and that stuff flies off the shelf. We know it does. We know there's a lot of people that are using it and trying to get the edge on their neighbors and everything like that. And, you know, that's the risk that they take. You know, does it work? You know, I don't know. I'm sure it has some sort of benefit to them or if anything, it it uh, influences them over to their area, maybe a little bit more or something. But, I mean, I don't know if it definitely works right. you know, every time or, I mean, it's just not that way. But. Yep, um, we work a lot of baiting cases a year. We get a lot of tip calls on baiting cases for people that are getting it. We see it going out. We've talked to, you know, a lot of our stores out there to ask them to put a sign up to, you know, let the public know. So so the people that are still trying to do it right, but, you know, go in and maybe don't know the laws or rules and think it is legal, you know, hopefully them, them people get them educated so that they're uh, making the educated decision. At least they know what the law is before they choose to do it. Right. Right. Well, awesome. Well, boys, I appreciate it. Um, thanks for the time. Nick, is there any uh, waterfall really pushing in up there? Or? Yeah, uh, this last week with a cold snap, it, 
you know, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of ducks moving in, you know, a lot of geese we're seeing too. Um, I haven't been out myself yet, but, uh, it's, we're, we're going to start seeing a big influx in waterfowl hunters now. Um, so good. You know, we've got some water kind of filled up the ponds again. Some of these fields are have some water in them now for some standing corn flooded corn hunts. Um, right. it's not ideal for the landowner, but as a waterfowl hunter, it's a, it's a great opportunity to, to hunt, try something different. That's very effective, but, um, yeah, it, waterfall hunting is is going to get really good as long as we don't freeze up too hard in the next couple of weeks. So, looking forward to seeing seeing the big flocks of snow geese and stuff push through. So, you couldn't have lied to me and just said no. <laughs> I don't lie. I would, I would appreciate that. You should have said no. They're all gone. They're all in Kansas. Sorry, they already flew by. Yeah. Awesome. That happens well, from time to time, but we're gonna we're gonna take advantage of it while we can because it's yeah. been a while since we've had them for a while. So. Yep. Well, thanks, boys. I appreciate it. Again, as always, uh, I owe you an adult beverage the next time I see you. And uh, if uh, send send me some pictures of some deer, because I won't have one to shoot. Maybe my daughter will, hopefully, but I won't have any good pictures for you. But appreciate the time, guys, and uh, take care. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, boys. Just best by that seem bad to me So that's it for this episode um, Hope to talk to you soon uh, Getting some reports of some people Trying to sneak out up in the northern part of the state And check ice And uh, you know up in those hills Where it's a little colder than most But just be careful, be smart um, Let people know where you're going uh, Shuffle out uh, if it was me, I'd probably stay off the ice, but uh, I'm not your mom, so can't tell you what to do. But just be careful, be smart. Uh, you know, the winds have been blowing and probably not really creating safe ice, even on those smaller impoundments and smaller dams and sloughs and lakes. So just be careful and be smart. Um, hope everybody's having a great season, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. It's back to my place where... Privacy.